What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. We are loving this new weekly thing we've got going on. Hopefully, you guys are also loving it. As you probably know, because you saw the title of this episode, we are going to be talking about missing Daniel Robinson today. He was in the media a lot with Jelani, who we covered last episode. When Gabby was missing, they kind of paired them together. I guess because Jelani was also missing at that time. Yeah. And I guess kind of similar-ish circumstances with, you know, obviously on the surface similar with both their cars were found and, you know, different things like that. So you might have heard a bit about this case already, but there is actually a lot of stuff that kind of, not that it wasn't reported in the media, it just kind of all came out after the after the fact of the his story being really pushed, wouldn't you say? Yeah. There was a lot of like a lot of official information that was released in this case, which is nice for a change in terms of police reports and documents and things like that. Unlike with Jelani, with Daniel, we kind of learn a little bit more about what he was up to in the days leading up to it, who he was talking to, what was going on with him, his behavior. So it kind of gives a little more insight into his story, which we didn't really have with Jelani's. And a lot of the news was reporting about how his dad has been out there looking for him without the police because he feels like the police gave up on him. But we will get into all that in the episode. Daniel was last seen leaving a job site in Buckeye, Arizona on June 23rd, 2021, around 9.15 a.m. We do talk a lot in this episode about the police report. So I think it's 53 or 56 pages. So it's all on the blog if you want to go and read through it um, to kind of go along with this episode. And then, like we said, last episode, updates and new cases and all of our chit-chat is going to be at the end after we talk about Daniel. So stay tuned. I have faith and I I really believe I'm going to have my son back alive. David Robinson is on the biggest mission of his life. After serving two tours in the deserts of Afghanistan, the Army vet has no plans to leave the deserts of Arizona until he finds his 24-year-old son, Daniel. Treat it like a mission. I keep saying it. I'm a professional soldier. I do my job and find my son. He's my son. I'm his father and it's my job. The job has been filled with frustration. Daniel is a geologist who works for a company analyzing sediments in the area for a well. He was last seen leaving the worksite in Buckeye on the morning of June 23rd. A month later, a rancher found Robinson's Jeep crashed in a ravine. His keys, wallet, and phone were in the SUV, but there was no sign of him. Daniel's a 24-year-old man. He's been missing from Buckeye, Arizona since June 23 of 2021. He was last seen leaving a job site where he worked as a geologist. His colleagues and family have said that he was acting unusual in the period before his disappearance. According to the report, Daniel was reported missing by his father, David, at 7.04 p.m. on June 23rd. His father said that he'd not been able to get in contact with Daniel since earlier that, that morning. The detective tried to call Daniel's phone multiple times, but there was no answer. David told the detective that Daniel's sister had gone to his apartment and that neither Daniel or his Jeep renegade were there. David also said that they had been receiving information from a co-worker of Daniel's and that that person had said that Daniel had been to a job site in Buckeye and that he had left in the morning and had not come back. So Daniel's co-worker, Ken, told the police that Daniel arrived at the job site at around nine o'clock in the morning and that it was raining. Just to give you a bit of an insight into the job site, it's a very remote 
I don't know if desert, I'm assuming desert is the term to use there. Like it's, um, I would say nothing, desert. Yeah, desert, like sand and dirt and scrub and things like that. So it's quite a it's remote. It's like the, the middle of the Arizona desert. It yeah, seems. yeah, exactly. Ken said that Daniel was saying things that did not make sense. He was asking Ken if he wanted to go for a rest, and then he asked if he wanted to go to Phoenix to rest. Ken said that Daniel was not making sense with what he was saying and that, you know, he was basically just talking nonsense. Ken said that Daniel was there for 15 minutes at the job site before he suddenly left. At around 3 p.m. that same day, Ken was told that Daniel couldn't be found. He started to kind of drive around the area looking for him. And two police officers also drove around the area, but they couldn't find any trace of Daniel or his Jeep. He was entered into the NCIC, which is the National Crime Computer, that day. Daniel's father, David, in the police report, gave some more insight into Daniel's state of mind at the time. He said that Daniel hadn't had any known medical or mental health issues in the past, but that he had been acting a bit strange. Daniel told David that he was in love with a woman, but Daniel did not appear to know anything about this woman. I'm assuming his dad kind of asked him questions like, well, you know, what does she do? All that. Like, where did you guys meet? Yeah. yeah. And da- Daniel didn't really have that information to give to his father, but he did tell his dad that the woman's name was Caitlin. David said that Daniel did not use any hard drugs, just occasionally marijuana, and that for some reason, just before he went missing, Daniel had removed all the photos from his Instagram account. I'll link both the accounts on the blog. His Facebook is still up, but for some reason, yeah, all of the photos were removed from his Instagram. Daniel's sister, Davisha, played a big part in the investigation too, and she spoke to police early on. She also corroborated Daniel's kind of unusual behavior. She said that Daniel went to her apartment once recently and sat there for 30 minutes without saying a word. Davisha tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't respond. He did also tell Davisha at another time that he was in love with a woman. He said the woman told him to listen to a podcast and that it changed the way he looked at life. He said that the podcast was. Yeah, I know. I really want to know. I (laughs) poured through the police reports, but it's not named in there that I've seen. But someone might know. If you do, send us a message. The podcast apparently showed Daniel how to avoid negative energy. And Davisha said that it was out of Daniel's character to kind of go off grid and drop out of sight. But interestingly, at the end of May, which was around a month before he went missing, he drove all the way out to California to see his sister and he didn't tell anyone of his plans. So that's kind of an indicator that maybe there was a few unusual happenings just before he disappeared. It just doesn't make any sense. Melissa, I know that some reports from either friends or colleagues of Daniel said that he'd been struggling a bit with mental health before he went missing. Do you think that is playing into the decisions that are being made by the police, maybe not to do as an aggressive search as they might have otherwise? Or or do you have any sort of feelings with regard to that? Yes, first of all, no one can speak on Daniel's behalf. No one knows Daniel like we know him. That's right. And you cannot speak for someone and say you know a person until you've been around them long enough to say they're having a problem. Daniel, the last conversation I had with Daniel was on June the 21st. He called me when I got off work. We talked and I said, and we always end with, I love you and we'll talk later. Later on that night, Daniel called me again and I was sleeping. And Daniel said, hello, mom, I'm just checking on you. 
and I want you to know I love you and we will talk later. And that's what I'm holding on to. If my son was rational enough to call me and tell me that he's checking on me and that he will call and talk to me later, that's what I'm holding on to. Daniel's colleague Kenneth spoke to police about the morning that Daniel disappeared. I'm not sure if Kenneth and Ken are the same person. They're in the police report with those different names, but could possibly be the same co-worker. Kenneth had never worked with Daniel before, and he said they arrived to the job site at around 9.30 a.m. I think it must be the same guy because he's asking things He's gone into more, so. yeah. He's gone into more detail in this section of the police report, and he actually kind of quotes what Daniel asked him: "Do you want to go home? Do you want to go back to Phoenix?" So it's kind of weird. They've never worked before. Daniel gets to the job site and then starts asking him random things at nine thirty in the morning. I think I saw that was like Ken or Kenneth's first time really yeah. meeting Daniel, right? I think that they had been colleagues maybe for the same company, but they'd never actually worked on a job site before. Yeah, I I think it was something like that. They didn't know each other very well, basically. Yeah, that's the vibe I got too. At around 9.45, so which was only 15 minutes after they got to the job, Daniel waved to Kenneth without saying anything. He walked over to his Jeep and drove away. He'd only been at the job site for 15 minutes, so... He was giving it up for the day after being at work for 15 minutes. (laughs) That's my kind of work day. (laughs) So according to this police report, police also tracked down the woman that Daniel was apparently in love with, Caitlin. Caitlin told police that she'd only known Daniel since June 12, which was around 11 days before he disappeared. On that day, June 12, Caitlin was with a friend at her home and they ordered food through Instacart, just randomly as a kind of note. In the police report, they go into a very detailed paragraph about what Instacart is. (laughs) <laughs> so you could just say a food delivery service you know so anyway, just that takes up a bit of content in the police report daniel was their i guess instacart delivery person he delivered the food to them caitlin said that she and her friend were drunk and they thought that daniel was friendly so they invited him to hang out with them looking back she told the police officer that she realized it was probably not the smartest or safest thing to do to invite a stranger into her home But, quote, she believed Daniel was harmless as he only had one arm and he was short in height. So I looked it up. He's five foot eight. He is missing an arm, I believe, since birth. Actually, I don't know if it is since birth. Do you know? I I honestly didn't even know he was missing an arm until I read the police report. (laughs) Because the photo, the main photo that they use for Daniel, it looks just like an angle thing, like he might have his arm behind his back or something like that. He has most of his arm. It seems like he's lost more like his wrist. His wrist hand is missing. Yeah, it looks like he's lost. Yeah, he. Did, it's not like his arm is missing from the shoulder. He's missing. A, yeah, a he part has most of, of it. It seems. Yeah. Either way, it doesn't really matter. And the, this girl probably feels so dumb because she probably said that, thinking it would never really come out, and now it's <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and Caitlin, you know, said that she wasn't intimidated by him because he was short. So he was around five foot eight. So he wasn't tiny. He was just it's still a, not short. No, like an average size guy really still taller than me (laughs) so caitlin and daniel exchanged phone numbers that night caitlin recommended this amazing podcast to him that we still really want to know about and it was true crime society (laughs) imagine (laughs) no negative vibes (laughs) 
So a few days after they met, Daniel messaged Caitlin and said that he'd left a canopy from his Jeep at her house, which seems random, and he asked if he could come and get it. She said yes, he could. Caitlin was out of town at the time these texts were sent, but she must have like a motion activated camera and she saw Daniel go up to her house on the camera. She felt, you know, a bit creeped out and thought that he should have actually asked permission to kind of enter the premises. She texted him on June 16 and said that she was out of town and would contact him when she got back to arrange for him to pick up the canopy. Caitlin said that Daniel then became very creepy. He sent her a heart emoji and told her that he loved her. So in the police report, there are like, it's a list of texts. I'll read all through them because I think it kind of gives you a outline of their very short non-relationship and then kind of how Daniel goes a bit creepy in them. So Sunday, June 13 at 2.29, Caitlin sent Daniel a text, which was an Apple podcast link on Daniel writes back and says, hey, the next day, Monday, June 14 at 7.19 p.m., he says, hey, I accidentally left my canopy outside your house. Is it still there? If so, is it okay if I pick it up? Also, the podcast was great. Caitlin replied the next day, June 15 at 1.37 and said, yes, you can pick it up whenever. So when, he, when she said that, I do feel like that's kind of a, you know, yeah, just come and get it whenever you want type message that could be interpreted that way by Daniel. Um, that same day at 8.30 p.m., Daniel said, thanks. How do I get there again? I can come now or tomorrow afternoon to grab it. So she didn't reply. Then she replies Wednesday the 16th at 2.06. And she says, hi, I saw you on the camera. I'm in Flagstaff and will be home tonight. If you want, I can put it out front by the chairs before I head out for work tomorrow. So that same day, just over an hour later at 3.12 p.m., Daniel sent her red heart emoji. And then that same day, because she obviously didn't reply, she must have been getting a bit, what is going on by this stage? At 10.13 p.m. that night, Daniel sent her a message saying, I'm sorry. The next day, so Caitlin's obviously still creeped out that he was going to her house. The next day, Thursday, June 17, at 6.39 p.m., she wrote, please stop showing up unannounced. He wrote back, okay, I won't ever again. She wrote, thanks, and I'm looking right now, and I don't see the canopy in the garage. He wrote back and said, don't worry about it. I already have it. And she wrote, I'm confused. He wrote, I did grab it yesterday. I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry for disappearing the other day. And then he sends a sad face emoji to her and said, I couldn't stop thinking about you. So this is all a bit full on for someone who's known each other for not long. Yeah. That was Thursday. Then Saturday at 12.44, Daniel sent her another message. Can we hang out? She replied a few minutes later saying, I'm not home. And uh, he wrote, okay. The next day, Sunday, Daniel, uh, at 12.14 a.m., Daniel wrote, I love you. Sunday, 8.28 a.m., Daniel wrote, are you home today? And Caitlin replied uh, later on the Sunday, about an hour later, honestly, you showing up at my house unannounced made me extremely uncomfortable. I will not be home today, but I don't see us hanging out anytime soon. Daniel replied again, he's really hanging on to hope here. <laughs> okay, but do you have any doubt? Either way, I'll have to be okay with your answer. So she clearly didn't reply. Monday, 11.44 a.m., how are you feeling from Daniel? Nothing from Caitlin. Monday, 3.46 p.m., so he's very, very persistent. I'm outside of your place, he wrote to Caitlin. Scary. I know, it's really actually yuck. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk about 
my thoughts more after you get right. through this, but I don't know. So she replied with a bunch of question marks and wrote, please stop doing that. I'm not even home. This is not okay. And he wrote back, I guess it's not. Caitlin wrote, not you guess. I've told you that it's not okay and not to not come to my house unannounced. He kept persisting. Are you okay with me? She wrote, no, this isn't normal nor acceptable. He wrote back, what is normal? Caitlin wrote, making plans before showing up at someone's home and if someone has expressed that you've made them uncomfortable, you need to back off. He replied, do you hate me? And she wrote, I don't hate you, but you need to leave me alone. And that night at 8.46 p.m. on the Monday, he wrote, you're right. So the last time that Caitlin heard from Daniel was the following day, Tuesday, at 3.07 p.m. He wrote, the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. So it's just kind of very mysterious. Keeps going with the strange messages. So that was the 22nd of June. Tuesday the 22nd was the last time that she heard from him. And then he went missing, right? On the 23rd. I'm pretty sure it was 23rd. Yep. It's so weird. Like, I don't want to say Caitlin's lying because I do believe that he made her definitely feel uncomfortable clearly like she clearly says it several times you're making me uncomfortable please leave me alone back off and he should never show up at her apartment or especially multiple times like you yeah know, maybe, after maybe she once clearly said it to get the canopy but then yeah the multiple times after that and she was she was very direct and very clear that she was uncomfortable it just makes me wonder initially i feel like something more had to have happened I could be totally wrong, obviously. Like, this could just be, you never know. Like, it could be a mental fixation of his. Like, he met her and just became obsessed with her. Or did something else happen besides just him delivering food to her apartment that made him so fixated on her? It seems very mysterious to me because I feel like if they just met kind of like that brief moment, why is he so obsessed? Like, I don't know. And obviously, either way, I think he, he clearly crossed the line and was making her uncomfortable and needed to back off. But it just, the whole thing seems kind of strange. And I'm not obviously like, I don't have any idea what went on when he went into their house, but maybe Caitlin has said herself that her and a friend were drunk. So maybe they were really super friendly and he interpreted that. Yeah. He interpreted that to be something more than what it was. Um, Yeah. Just seems very unusual behavior for someone who apparently has never acted this way before. No, I agree. That's why I'm like, did anything else happen? Did they chat more? Did they hang out another time? Again, not saying she's a liar at all, because I would 100% believe that this could happen without them hanging out at all. I just wish there was a little more clarity, I guess, on her saying, like, this was literally the only time we met, and then he started kind of stalking me. Yeah. Like, I'd love to know how long he actually hung out with them for that night. I know she said that she got Instacart delivered and, you know, all that. Yeah, like, did he drop it off and then hang out and chat with them for two hours? So it seems like he left their house at 2.30 that next morning, if that's when she sent him the podcast. Like, I'm assuming it was like, hey, I'm I'm going now. She's like, I'll send you this podcast. But, um, yeah, yeah. so I'd like to know more kind of about the time and anyway. It's, yeah, it's definitely weird, but no matter really what happened, clearly... She said she was uncomfortable, and he kind of ignored that. So either way, he's, you know, I don't want to talk badly about someone who's missing, but he was, like, in the wrong in that department. Yeah, absolutely. So the police continued their search for Daniel. They went to his apartment. They said it was neat, well-kept, that there was nothing really out of place. I have seen that they found some pot there, but there was nothing else kind of nefarious or any, you know, no signs of a struggle. 
They searched for many hours for Daniel and his vehicle. There was also a bunch of sightings, which I didn't put into this episode because they actually turned out to definitely not be Daniel, but people were seeing him everywhere, you know, randomly, which is unusual for someone who has a distinctive look as him, you know, like he obviously has the missing arm and all that type of stuff. So anyway, they're all false. You can read about them in the police reports if you want, but none of them were Daniel. On July 19, a local landowner contacted police to say that he'd found a wrecked Jeep Renegade on his property. This info is direct from the police report. It said the vehicle had significant damage and appeared to have had a front impact with the dirt and rolled before resting on the passenger side. One piece of the Jeep's black removable roof was on the ground, partially wedged under the front of the Jeep. The driver's front window was shattered and I located glass on the ground consistent with the Jeep rolling one time. There was also substantial damage to the lower front end and damage to the top of the windshield and the roof. So when you actually see photos, I'll just get it up. I should have actually had it up. It's, it's, there's a lot of damage to the Jeep. It's not just like he hit a curb or he, you know. No, it's, it's, like, it's like it rolled. Oh, it's it totally, totally trash, totally written off. Um, there's no way you would think that you could have driven it again after whatever happened happened. Yeah, no, it looks like it was rolled through the desert a few times yeah like there's actually photos which are on the blog of the scene so it's you know kind of the airbags are deployed the windows are all broken the sunroof's broken the pieces of the car around the car it's like a jeep suv so it's like the rear airbags look like they went off the front airbags went off there's dents all down the sides it looks like it's a wrecked car like it's been a looks like the skeleton of a car yeah like that you'd see in a junkyard it's fucked up so Daniel's keys, phone, and wallet were found in the vehicle. So they also found kind of unopened water, which, you know, I guess they included that because essentially he wouldn't have died from dehydration. There was enough water in there for him to drink, along with Daniel's work computer and backpack. The police brought in cadaver dogs, but then they searched the area with a drone, but they didn't find anything. So police downloaded the black box from the car and they were able to obtain data about the crash. This is so fascinating to me. I can't believe they can get this amount of information from a yeah anyway the the actual crash report just the crash report is 32 pages long and this is part of that it says the report indicates that the ignition cycle at the time of the download was 6850 the driver's seat belt was buckled at the time of the crash so that you know someone was in the driver's seat the ignition cycle at the time of the crash was 6805 This indicates that the ignition was cycled 44 times after the crash event, including the cycle by officer price for the download. The odometer reading at the time of the crash event was 58,154. The report indicated the airbag light was not illuminated at the time of the crash. That's basically telling us that the airbags had already been deployed at the time of the final crash, if I'm reading that rightly. Yeah. Um, So we also learned that Daniel's phone last connected to the car's Bluetooth system at 7.12am on the day he went missing. There is a lot more information about the car. It's very technical in the police report. So if you are interested in that kind of thing, make sure you go and check it out. But I didn't get into it here just in case everyone's eyes might glaze over a bit with all the numbers and the technical stuff. When I worked at the law firm I worked at, it was a personal injury law firm, so we had to do stuff with car accidents. The Like you were just saying, the reconstruction of accident reports are insane. When you're reading it, you're like, why would I need to know this? But you could tell every tiny detail. You could tell like the angles the cars hit each other. You could tell the speed they were going at every single moment. 
when, at what second, anyone hit the brakes, anything going on like that. And then they piece it all together. If it was like many cars, it's even more complex, but they'd put that together for every single car. And that's kind of how they reconstruct the accident. I feel like the main points from that kind of crash report is that someone tried to restart the car 44 times after it had crashed into the ravine, um, which is... Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not like once or twice you might try and turn it over or whatever, but 44 times that there had already been a crash that deployed the airbags before this final crash. So it yeah. seems like there was a lot going on. It's really weird. There was some footage found of Daniel from June 22nd, which was the night before he disappeared. He went to a Waffle House restaurant and he was seen on the footage for just over 30 minutes. A woman named Madison was his server and she remembered him. She told police that she remembered Daniel was skittish and when she tried to engage him in conversation, he did not talk to her. They are, it says, I asked her if he was skittish like a nervous guy talking to a girl or something else. Madison could not explain it, but that he just seemed out of it and off. She also explained that she'd seen him in the re- restaurant before, but she said that his demeanor was definitely different on the 22nd of June. So even for, you know, a waitress or a server to notice that you are acting differently, he must have been, you can tell there's something going on. He was just there alone? Yeah, as far as I know. I've never said, because he sat there and didn't do anything, like didn't talk to anyone. And I've also read that he like ate whatever, he didn't finish his food and he got a to-go pack and took it home. So yeah, yeah. I'm certain he was there alone. They looked at Daniel's bank accounts too. Um, The last transaction was made the day he disappeared in the morning. He made a three-minute stop at a gas station at 7 a.m. where he pumped $3.83 worth of gas. There's also a redacted – a lot of the police report is redacted, so I've, you know, tried to kind of make the best of it. But there's a redacted charge for $10.48 on the 23rd in the police report, but I don't know what that was for all the time or anything like that. But it sounds like it was probably food or – no, yeah, can't buy much else for 10 bucks. On August 8, the detective in charge spoke with a private investigator that had been hired by Daniel's family. That investigator's name is Jeff McGrath. Jeff told police that they had recovered an additional sock belonging to Daniel during a search of the desert. He also told them there was red paint transfer on Daniel's car, which may indicate that there was a collision at some point with another vehicle. There's a lot of back and forth in the police report between Jeff McGrath and the police. It seems like, and I know that Daniel's family have also insinuated and said that the police didn't do enough to investigate Daniel's disappearance. So that's a bit of, that's interesting reading anyway, to see kind of the police's differences to what Jeff's found. Jeff is joining us live tonight from Buckeye, Arizona. Jeff, uh, glad to be talking to you. I wish it were under different circumstances, but we want to find Daniel. What is it about Daniel's car that strikes you as off in terms of where it was found, the location, what was left behind? Well, the damage to the vehicle, uh, it didn't match the area that the vehicle was found in. Uh, It had some damage along the driver's side that is unexplainable by, uh, by the detectives. It also had some uh, intruding damage into the windshield that didn't match anything in the area as well. Plus, um, I also had the airbag control module report that tells me what that vehicle was doing five seconds before the airbags deployed and uh, what was going on with that vehicle since the airbags deployed. And what does that tell you? 
It, it tells us that the vehicle uh, traveled another 11 miles after the airbags uh, did deploy on that vehicle. It also tells us there were 46 additional ignition cycles uh, on the vehicle after the airbags came out and that um, the, it, the report says the vehicle was traveling about 30 miles an hour for five seconds prior to its final rest or airbag deployment, I should say. And that's not possible in the area where the vehicle was found. So piecing that information together, how do you think the car got there? Well, I think the car got there by um, somebody was still driving the vehicle after the airbags came out. Uh, and, and if it was dumped intentionally or uh, somebody was joyriding and that's where it ended up and once it got there, you couldn't move it out from there, it tipped to its side. Um, or, or Daniel was in it. We, we don't have any proof to say that uh, he wasn't but we also don't have any to say that he, he wasn't. Jeff also told police about a man named Roger. Roger apparently attended the searches for Daniel, and Jeff asked to speak with him at one of these searches. This info is directly from the police report. Jeff alleges Roger had an oh shit look and turned pale, so I'm assuming that's after Jeff said, I want to speak to you. Jeff says that Roger avoided him for the remainder of their time at the search. Jeff said that Devisha told him Roger might have been a roommate of Daniel's at some point. Police tracked down Roger and they learned that he'd lived with Daniel for a period of about a month when Daniel had first moved to Phoenix. They still caught up for beers and football regularly, um, but Daniel had moved into his own place and they also worked together occasionally. Roger last saw Daniel on June 21st and 22nd, so one and two days before he went missing. He thought Daniel was acting weird and, quote, he thought, something's up with Daniel, something's not right, I need to talk to him. So Roger's kind of gone through the last times that he saw Daniel. He said that he asked Daniel if he wanted to get breakfast and Daniel said no. Roger went back to work and then Daniel texted him asking if he wanted to get breakfast, which the police kind of verified that by messages in Daniel's phone records. He's, mm-hmm. Roger said that he and Daniel went in Roger's truck to get breakfast and Roger asked Daniel again, again if he was okay, but Daniel didn't tell him what was bothering him. And then, is it, how do you say it, Chick-fil-A? Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so they went to breakfast at Chick-fil-A and Roger asked Daniel what he wanted and Daniel said, whatever you're getting. Roger thought this was weird because Daniel always wanted to get the spicy chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> so something Feel must that. really be off if he doesn't want the spicy nuggets. After getting the food, Roger asked Daniel if there was a problem with a girl. The answer kind of, I guess he kind of got it out of Daniel eventually, that there was a girl that he knew, but the girl didn't know he existed. Daniel continued to ask a lot of odd questions, which didn't make sense to Roger. So this is, you know, there's multiple people at this time saying that Daniel wasn't really making any sense. Roger got a call when he was in the car with Daniel, and when the call was over, Daniel asked Roger if he believed in miracles and that Daniel told him maybe he should start believing in miracles. Roger then said Daniel mentioned something about God or religion, and Roger was a bit surprised because Daniel had never really expressed any religious views before, and Roger didn't think that he was religious. Daniel asked Roger if he trusts him, and when Roger said yes, Daniel challenged him about whether he trusted him. So this is like just a weird you know, back and forth between them. Roger said, yeah, I trust you because we're friends. And Daniel said, what if we weren't friends? Daniel then said something to Roger about getting rid of his ego because ego is bad. Roger told Daniel he saw him as confident but not egotistical. And then Daniel said, well, I have to get rid of my story. Roger was confused by this because Daniel was always proud of where he came from. 
and, you know, who he was, but then the conversation ended and they went back to work. Roger said that when they were back at the office, he saw Daniel walk past wearing his Miami Heat hat, which was one that he knew Daniel loved. Daniel said that he should probably get rid of the hat and told Roger, and Roger said that was silly and to keep it. A short time later, Daniel left the office carrying a box and didn't say goodbye to Roger. So that was all June 21. Roger saw him again quickly on June 22, and this was going to be their final encounter. Daniel asked Roger, what if there was a girl you liked but you couldn't have? Roger gave Daniel advice that if he wanted to ask a girl out to go for it. Daniel talked again about the ego and similar questions to the day before, but Daniel didn't really tell Roger anything else specific about what was bothering him. He said that it seemed like Daniel thought he had to completely change himself to be with whoever this girl was. So there's a lot of conflict, it seems, for Daniel at this time. Yeah. So during all these searches for Daniel, a human skull was recovered. It was found in a wash south of where the Jeep was found. But before we get into that, a quick word from our sponsor, Elfster. It sounds crazy, but Christmas is sneaking up on us already, and it's time to start holiday shopping. But don't worry, we're here to tell you about Elfster, which will make your life much easier. Elfster's the number one secret Santa app in the world. It's totally free and makes gift giving so much easier. All you need to do is enter a date and your budget, and Elfster will take care of everything else. They even draw the names for you. It's a really good idea. We've even used this app before to do virtual gift exchanges with our internet friends that live all over the country. It's a huge time saver. It doesn't matter where your friends or family are, Elfster brings everything together for you. You can also use Elfster to make wish lists, almost like personal Christmas gift registries. You can add gifts directly from your favorite brands, including Amazon, Etsy, Fanatics, Nordstrom, Sephora, and Zappos. You could share the wish list among your family and friends, and everyone will get the gift they really want this year. More than 17 million people trust Elfster. It's the easiest way to shop from curated gift guides this Christmas. Download the Elfster app today or go to elfster.com to participate. Happy holidays! According to the police report, they said based on the weathering of the skull, it appears the skull has been exposed to the sun and elements much longer than the time Daniel was reported missing. So they confirmed very quickly that it wasn't actually Daniel. Like, what are the odds of them finding another skull? Crazy. Sounds like what just happened with Brian. I know. Except it was Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but even I saw that article, which I know was a bit of clickbait about Brian. They're like, wow, seven bodies have been found in the search for Brian, which it wasn't really. It was just seven bodies have been found in the USA during the time that, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's crazy when you always hear they find other people that they weren't looking for. So weird. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. Melissa... Tell me a little bit about this this journey, because I know at one point you got a very distressing piece of information that a human skull had been found not far uh, from this site. It turned out not to be your son. You know, I don't know how that affects you when you're going through what you're going through. Well, it's terrifying. Um, I literally had to just compose myself enough to just say I have to be strong for Daniel. I mean, here in South Carolina, I have a lot of support. My husband has really helped me throughout this whole thing. And this is my husband, Stanley. He's helped me with this process. Hey, how are you? And it's been one of the hardest moments of my life. They said, on August 3, 2021, at approximately 0900 hours, I spoke with senior death investigator C. Eggers of the Office of the Maricopa County Medical Examiner. She confirmed that the skull that was recovered on July 31 is not that of Daniel. 
We are now at late October 2021. Daniel is still missing four months later. Uh, Jeff, the PI, spoke to the media again recently. He said, there's a lot of information that still needs to be acquired and I can't do it without warrants. I'm not a private citizen. I'm not a cop anymore, so I can't draw warrants. I'm going to be talking to the Buckeye Police Department. They're aware. And if we can reclassify this as an endangered person, we don't have to have a crime, but an endangered missing person. We can draw warrants to get some of the technical information that they're looking for. So I'm assuming that might be more about phone records and uh, yeah. G- I don't know, GPS records and things like that, maybe. Social media. Yeah. Um, Daniel's family also recently appeared on a Red Table Talk, which is kind of like a Facebook Live chat thing. With I didn't a- know they were on that. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, weird. so that's hosted by Jada Pinkett Smith. David and Melissa Robinson told Jada about several challenges they faced when trying to find their son. She asked them, was it difficult to get the police to take seriously that Daniel was missing? And his dad said, yes, even from the first day. You know, we know our son and it was very out of character. Things didn't add up. It was very difficult to see them get moving. They did a first search on my son, which was three days later. I haven't gotten any, any support from the police department, nothing. And then his mother spoke and she said, just looking at him is so difficult when you want to talk to him, when you want to hug him. Daniel is my hero. Just reading his texts, telling me how he feels about me. And the last message he sent to her was June 21st. And he told her, you know, she said, he telling me that he loves me. And one last thing from that is that um, his father said, one thing I really want to say, Daniel is not a person that's depressed and down. He's high spirited, has dreams, and he's a contributor to society. Daniel's a scientist, very smart, very sharp, and we just want him back home. We just want him back here with us. So again, I've looked today. There's no, no real information, new information about Daniel. He's still missing. There's a lot of articles that kind of compare Daniel and Jelani's cases. There's one called from Forbes. What about Jelani Day and Daniel Robinson? Racial bias and anti-blackness in the media. So I'll pop that up on the blog if you want to have a read about that. But it kind of talks about Gabby's case and how it got so much information. And then these, there's, there's all these other cases that aren't getting the same attention. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. In terms of theories for what happened to Daniel... I feel like he probably had some type of mental break. It seems like he definitely had some sort of mental break from what was recorded in the police reports. Just him kind of obsessing over this girl, like whether something did happen between them or not. Either way, he became very fixated on her after she was very clear that he was making her uncomfortable. Um, The weird things he was saying to his friend... And according to his parents, it just all seems very out of character. Like, of course, mental illness or anything like that can happen at any time if he was under like a lot of stress or something. I don't know. It's just, it's another one where I hate to just be like, I don't have an answer. It's super weird. But really, it's super weird. I feel like um, I really think that there was something, you know, a mental illness or a mental. Yeah you know, going on. I've, I've looked it up and I know that everyone always says that men kind of around Daniel's age are at their prime age to be diagnosed as schizophrenic. So I looked it up. It says the average age of schizophrenic onset turn, tends to be late teens to early 20s for men. So that would be, you know, fit for him. Obviously, I'm not, you know, I can't diagnose him as anything, but there was clearly something not right going on. There's a little, you know, even the religious talk and... I know... I've said this before and people get mad in the reviews because I've 
talk shit about religion sometimes, but I'll say it again. <laughs> I don't think in this I don't have a problem with religion if people practice it, whatever, but in the scope of true crime, when someone suddenly has like a religious ideation like this that didn't before, it's usually like a major red flag. Like if I I never talk about religion or anything. And then if one day I was suddenly yeah. talking about religion, was super faithful, like almost like a cult following belief. That should be a red flag. And it should be a red flag to anyone if someone who didn't really follow religion, didn't talk to you about it before, all of a sudden is talking about all these weird God theories, whether it's a religion you believe in or not. I think it's 100% a red flag. It's definitely a sign of mental illness. And you could look up reports and studies on that. It's just like a known fact. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I I know that with Roger, Roger's father had a, uh, recently passed away, so I, f- I suspect that that was why Daniel was asking him about miracles and, you know, do you believe in God and all that type of thing. But it's interesting. But I do think one reason why this case has not, like, gotten so much attention, because I do acknowledge the fact that it hasn't gotten as much attention as maybe it deserved. It is super weird, very interesting. Like, once people learn about the facts, they want to follow it. I do think it's very, I don't know if heartwarming's the right word, but his dad made a Twitter account. I think it's, we'll link it. I think it's please, or like find Daniel, help find Daniel, something like that. Please help his find dad Daniel, posts, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And his dad posts updates all the time. So even though the police kind of gave up on searching for him actively in the desert, his dad is out there like, at least once, twice a week with a group of volunteers that he's pulled together, looking all throughout where the area where his car was found, looking in like abandoned mines, all that stuff. Like his dad is fucking dedicated. A great father. I really hope he gets the answers he's looking for. He is so dedicated to finding Daniel. And I think that that is kind of what has gotten to a lot of people, where a lot of people want to help him find his son, no matter what the circumstances are. Obviously, he deserves to be found and his dad is out there trying to fucking find him that's a good dad just off the back of that the dad has a gofundme as well it's raised one hundred and fifty-three thousand dollars. their goal was forty thousand. even like so this gofundme has been going for months now and it still says 131 people just donated so they're still it's still you know up in people's minds yeah and he's written like a short update recently it says thank you i appreciate your help It's been such a long road. Saturday will mark four months since he went missing, which is this Saturday, I think. Yeah, it must be this Saturday. I have not stopped searching for him. I have been in Arizona going on four months since he went missing. My family and I are grateful. So it's just like it's great that he's been able to get that amount of donations. Um, I feel like like I have more of a probability in this one i think that daniel had a mental break and probably is out there in the desert he might have walked and maybe he was injured after the accident so i don't know what he crashed into though i would like to know more about that in terms of yeah, you know the, crash the, is weird. the first crash where the airbags deployed no one else has come forward you know in the red car or whatever you know they said there was red paint so no one else has come forward to say they're in an accident and he fled the scene so i don't know if the whole crash is super more. weird because it's literally like in the middle of the desert and like maybe he was just driving through the desert at like a high rate of speed and just you know if you go yeah. over a ravine i can see you crashing into that but it's i feel like he's probably out there somewhere and just hasn't been found and who's the other skull yeah i tried <laughs> to find that i can't find any they haven't no yeah they haven't said so i think i don't know i feel like that area is possibly not too far from the mexican border so i know that there's a lot of comments that have said 
sometimes they find people out there who have, you know, tried to cross the border and haven't made it. And, you know, I obviously don't know how feasible that is in this case, but I've seen it kind of raised as a possibility. But, yeah, yeah. it's crazy that they just found Weird. another skull. Let me just Google and make sure. I look all the time to see if they have identified who the skull is, but they haven't seen. <laughs> but even just the fact they police, like, searched that area before and they used, I mean, they, they said they used, like, drones, dogs, whatever they normally use, and they didn't find the car at that time. And I guess because it sounds crazy to, like, miss a car, but they're saying it kind of fell into, like, a weird crevice ravine where... I don't know if it was like a hiker or someone who owned that land just like happened to come across it. But that was another thing. Like his family was saying that police had, you know, searched this area and somehow missed his car. But they came out saying that it was in this weird crevice. And I know that in the last one we spoke about how there's all these men that go missing with their car, or, you know, and their cars are found. And there is actually a lot. Like I know Brandon Swanson and Brandon Lawson, they're two other, old, like they're much older cases, but they're both still missing and their cars were found um alan white yes even though he was now found it was yep. still another thing where like he went missing with his car and then the car was found he wasn't jason landry car was found he wasn't yes, yes yes there are so many and like i feel like there's absolutely not as many missing like i know maura murray i was gonna say there's not as many missing women where their cars seems to be found i know and now i'm saying that i can think of a few but i still feel like there's a lot more brianna mayland was another one they're both more and brianna's cases are both quite old now but um, I feel like, yeah, there just seems to always be guys who go missing. I feel like with men, it's either they go missing, their car's found without them, or somehow they end up in a body of water, like I was saying before. It's mm. it's always like one or the other. I don't yeah. know if it's just like happening more frequently now, or if it's something we're just noticing more now because we're noticing it. It's kind of more making headlines now. I feel like a lot of the men who are found, I'm not implying this was Jelani, but generally a lot of the men who are found in water were drunk um yeah and I I feel, my theory my you know one of my theories is that they obviously go to the water to maybe pee and they fall in and can't get out that would be one theory about why they always seem yeah. to disappear after leaving bars on their i mean that would make sense because it's not like girls know we can't fucking pee outside <laughs> in a river so we don't try <laughs> but guys for sure would be like oh we're right back i'm just gonna like go pee in this river and then if you're swaying and you know it takes one second to fall over the edge of the bridge or wherever you are so um yeah yeah fortunately it's that easy so hopefully we'll have some news daniel is five foot eight inches five feet eight inches tall with black hair and brown eyes he does not have a right forearm or hand and you can contact the buckeye police department if you've got any information about his case Okay, so we're going to talk about some updates now. What's first on the table? I already forgot. Uh, well, Jen, talk about Brian and Gabby first. Yeah, let's get nothing. that out of the way. Another weekly routine we've gotten in, talking about Brian and Gabby. But I feel like this is kind of the first week where there's not really actually anything at all to report. Yeah, so there, uh, there was an article released today where the Sarasota County Sheriff Kurt Hoffman has said that Brian likely died by suicide. So he made the comments apparently during a police event in Florida. He says the gun went out there and by all accounts probably committed suicide and he was right out there where he thought, where we thought he was. So um, 
like it's a bit of not, not anything surprising with that. It's just what we basically generally assumed. So, yeah, it's very like thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only other articles out there about like I was just telling Stephanie there's one about how a medium has been saying she's talking to Gabby and Gabby's at peace according to this medium with no one being brought to justice in her case and just we were just talking about how upsetting that must be for the family maybe to yeah people to be kind of inserting themselves in that way to be putting words in your family member loved one's mouth like that yeah I'd be like who are you to say what my daughter friend whatever is saying like yeah. you're no one no but offense is... to any psychics out there but <laughs> not everyone believes in that stuff there is like the psychic was quite nice in terms of she says that she could communicate with gabby easily because gabby has a lot of spiritual energy so like there's some things like that that are quite positive and you know not really hurtful but it's just a bit yeah. uh, creepy a bit icky yeah i was just thinking if that was like my sister or something like that, it would annoy me. Yeah. But yeah, for once, there's not much to talk about. And it's kind of sad in a way to have it go so quiet and there really be no resolution. I still think the FBI will say something because as of right now, technically, Gabby's murderer could still be out there because they've never officially said it was him. Yeah. So I think we'll still hear something, but it's definitely quieted down a lot yeah kind of fading away into the background a little bit with just this lack of information which is sad for her family yeah all right who do we want to talk about next do jelani next okay so we do have a little non-update update on jelani because of course as soon as we put out that episode everything (laughs) started moving everyone started talking but really it's just that the family is going to get another autopsy done and that the FBI has said that there's, what do they say? There's not really enough evidence to. Yeah. They've said that basically that, well, there's a criminal expert who said that basically Jelani's death investigation lacks the evidence that would be needed to get the FBI involved. Yeah. Um, He said it's a man called Bill Lally, who's a veteran police officer. He said, we don't seem to have enough indicators stating that this may have been a homicide. The fact of this matter is we don't have any indicators to say it's gone in either direction. He thinks the FBI will play a complementary role in the investigation, so they may kind of assist, but they won't be taking over, according to him. This is quite an interesting, he said this as well, which I do kind of believe in this case or you know it could be a possibility in this case he said Mm -hmm. it's actually more common than not when individuals who have died in undetermined circumstances that the family believes foul play was involved and that he said that the investigators would have probably been prepared for the family to feel that way when they reported that you know their findings to the police yeah i mean i think that's normal he said the assumptions of foul play are especially common in cases of suicide adding that suicides can be extremely impulsive he said the family mm-hmm. may not have seen signs of trouble with their loved one. Yeah, it's hard to say. I feel like he's quite, he's articulated this quite well. He probably better than what we did in the episode. But he said it's the disassociation <laughs> between their last experiences with that loved one and the realization they are now dead. And that disconnect leaves them to believe that someone else may have done this. So yeah, it's definitely true. I feel like we see that a lot. A lot. Like, um, yeah, I always find it interesting when people are like, how could he have killed himself? He just, like, Alan White, like, you know, obviously we don't know that was a suicide, but if it was, he just went to the gym and he just got gas. But essentially you have to live your life up to the moment that you decide to do it. So, And I know 
people say that sometimes when someone knows that they're going to commit suicide and like have their plan and when they're going to do it, it's almost like they're happier because they know it's all going to be over soon and they kind of feel relief. And even try to make the kind of best of the last however long that they have. Which I feel like, obviously, if you're the family that the person's hanging out with, it kind of it's like a slap in the face in a way of being like, we just saw you and you were so happy and now I'm supposed to believe you committed suicide. So I get why it's always difficult for a family to believe. I mean, even if something like that happened to me, I would have a hard time believing it. And you'd obviously not want to believe it if it was your son or your brother or, you know, whatever. Obviously, suicide would be probably the last thing that you'd really want to hear that he was that you couldn't help him or save him or yeah which obviously is not a rational you know you can't often help people who want to take their own lives but it's just always a feeling of guilt I think yeah so I was gonna say it's hard to not feel guilty or to be like or to not be like what if I did this like did I not do enough of this did I not try hard enough like did I not make them happy when really none of that has to actually do with why generally why they killed themselves yeah but i know that guilt is a difficult thing to deal with i know they are still having some justice for jelani marches i've seen lots of photos online there's lots of people attending so it still seems like there's a lot of people who um believe that this was a foul you know murder or some type of foul play going on so it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of the third autopsy i feel like there probably won't be much more to come from it but who knows? Yeah. I think a lot of it, especially with this case, also comes from just like the general distrust in police these days in that environment. Um, yeah. They don't feel like they can trust them. So I understand that as well. But hopefully somehow they'll get a more concrete answer because I feel like that's the only way that they'll ever Be able find to closure. Start. Yeah. Yeah. The other update that we spoke about last week was the case of Gloria Williams and Brian Coulter. They were the parents, in you know, inverted commas, who left three boys in an apartment by themselves for months with the rotting remains of their dead brother. So we've learnt a little bit more. Since this case has kind of broken, we've found out that two of the three boys who were living in the apartment were autistic and had special needs. So that kind maybe kind of explained the question as to why they didn't get help earlier. They obviously couldn't understand or and I know that the older one said that he was worried he'd be separated from his siblings. And I guess if that's all you've got in the world, you're gonna do everything you can to keep them together. It seems like they always lived a turbulent life of abuse, yeah. sadly, where they probably weren't taught how to get help or what yeah. they should be getting help over. Yeah, exactly. They probably just thought this was normal, which is terrible. So mm-hmm. we learned that Gloria, who is their mother, had at least six children. Um, I think she obviously didn't have custody of all of them. I think a few of them had different fathers and one of the fathers is deceased, which also explains why the father wasn't in their life. And the one um, daughter went to live with the grandmother by choice, I think it said. Yeah. So the grandmother obviously also maybe kind of knew what was going on. Like surely you would have. And obviously, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who dropped the ball on this case, but it seems like there were people who knew what was going on and that Gloria's, one of Gloria's daughters has also repeatedly been reported missing. I think she's all right because I've seen her posting on her Facebook, so I'm fairly sure she's just a runaway 
um, obviously maybe from this fucked up mess of a family. So it's like there's a lot going on even with the other kids. So basically Gloria and Brian are both still in jail. Gloria's attorney is trying to get her bond reduced. It's been set at $900,000. You know, she's got bond conditions like she has to appear in court. She can't have any contact with minors or the children. She can't have any contact with Brian, can't use alcohol. She has to have a curfew. Like These are all the things that would, you know, her bond would be dependent on, but she still hasn't actually made bond. Brian's bond is set at $1 million, and we've kind of learned that he probably murdered the child in November 2020. I've read some articles that said he basically punched the child until the child went to sleep and then covered him with a blanket on the couch. I've read conflicting reports as if Gloria knew about the murder. I think she absolutely did, but she's saying Mm -hmm. now she didn't to try and kind of get out of it. I've seen, like, maybe it was coming from him then that she – tried to stop him initially and then now she's saying like someone did a jailhouse interview with her and now she's saying that she had no idea that this child was dead yeah which is like what they're saying that gloria and the boyfriend moved out but they would apparently deliver groceries and to the kids once a month and they also apparently paid the rent as a way to conceal the boy's remains which leads me to definitely believe that she knew the kid was in there yeah if they were going there at all, which she must have been because this was another thing I saw that one of the surviving children, one of the younger ones, had some sort of facial injury that was fairly yeah. fresh. They said like a couple weeks old yeah, that they needed surgery on. Was clearly the three, they were in there. I think they said he was beaten within the three weeks before they were all discovered. Yeah. So it was very. I'm guessing it's probably his jaw. Yeah, I think that's what it was. But yeah, clearly they were in there enough to break one of the kids' jaws, I'm sure. That, would, that they yeah. knew there was a dead body in there. It says that the 15-year-old has since told police that Brian, the child who died was called Kendrick Lee, so that Brian would beat Kendrick and, you know, basically beat him to death and left, left him in a bedroom. The 15-year-old said that Brian would get drunk and beat them all up. We also learned that last November, which was probably around the time that the murder happened, that Brian was arrested in Lulin, which is where Jason Landry went missing. <laughs> It's all happening there. Of being high with a loaded pistol at a Bucky's there. There was no children with them at the time. And then Brian's family have also released a statement. It says, We are deeply saddened by the events that have unfolded. This is not who we raised our son to be. Our hearts and prayers go out to these brave children. We did not know the children involved, but are praying for the soul of the child that passed, his remaining siblings and family, and all of those affected by this horrible tragedy. Our relationship with Brian has been distant for years. We have nothing productive to contribute to this conversation that has not already been shared with the sheriff. Our family asks for privacy at this time as we grieve this terrible situation. So we've learned things like the, the apartment where the boys were living obviously had no power, was rat and mice and cockroach infested. It's just oh, such a terrible situation for them all. I saw in one article, the mom said it was like a defense for being a piece of shit. Well, trying to say she wasn't a piece of shit totally by saying like she deliv- had food delivered for them like every two weeks. But mm-hmm. she also made it sound like she like door dashed them food also instead of just bringing them groceries. Yeah. That doesn't really make you look at any better. But thanks for sharing. I think the 15-year-old has also told police that occasionally so him and his two surviving brothers would be locked in the room with the corpse and just you just think, oh my gosh. Like imagine, imagine these poor children. I know. That's so mm-hmm. terrible. Like even as an adult, that's just such like mental mental torture on top of physical torture. 
there's some more details to just about the actual murder. It says that, it says, Brian struck the eight-year-old with closed fists and kicked him in his face, feet, back, testicles, and buttocks. When his eyes turned black and he stopped blinking, Coulter covered him with a blue blanket. It's just horrendous. I'm desensitized to most things. This case, though, actually really disgusted me. And yep. I'm not disgusted by a ton of things, but this is one of those ones where like, it honestly made me feel sick to my stomach just thinking about it. This is a bit of a trigger warning because there are some pretty graphic details, which so if you don't want to listen, maybe skip ahead the next 30 seconds. But the 10-year-old said that when Gloria came to the apartment later and lifted the blanket off Kendrick, she found that, quote, his body, feet and teeth had turned into a skeleton and that his hair was off and that his dis- decomposing corpse was said to have been covered with cockroaches. So Yeah, it's just, just like it makes you literally feel sick. Yeah. One kind of funny part about this, you know, obviously there's nothing really funny about the crime, but the funny part is is that Gloria and Brian were arrested in a public library <laughs> while reading articles about themselves on the public computer there. Like this just gives you an idea of the absurdness and just craziness of this case. Gloria has a billion Facebook profiles, which is always a red flag to me. Yeah, because they can and, never remember the password. Yeah, and they just keep making new ones. And he also has an Instagram account, which is, again, <laughs> funnily. Faux production. Faux production. F- F-O-E. With, like, with three S's on the end or something like that. And it's supposed to mean family over everything. Mm. It's like, dude. <laughs> really? <laughs> Apparently it's also some gang. People have been messaging us saying it's some gang term, which I don't know. The videos and stuff that he posts is so embarrassing. <laughs> Like, I feel, mm. in some ways, I feel a little bit bad because I really feel like both of these people are not 100%. They're like mentally disabled. I yeah, think. they're not 100% capable of, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have been parents, you know. They couldn't obviously yeah. care for these kids. I think there's things going on there. But then again, they committed one of the most heinous crimes that we've heard of. I feel too. Time. I was going to say, normally, like, I wouldn't make fun of them for <laughs> the stuff they're posting. I'd just be like, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But considering the circumstances, I feel like I can make fun of them a little bit. And it's not even that they've just, like, you know, the murder was horrendous, but now they've impacted the lives of these other five children as well. Like, it's just a chain reaction from their stupidity, really. Yeah, his Instagram is very cringeworthy. If you want to feel uncomfortable, it's linked in our blog. (laughs) Yes, definitely go if you really have an urge to be uncomfortable for an hour one day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it does seem like... Gloria and Brian are both mentally disabled in some capacity. They just don't really seem all there, which, again, goes along the lines of just there's so many people who weren't involved in this, but so many people who kind of just look the other way and let all this happen. Not that it's anyone's responsibility, really. But it should be Gloria's responsibility. But yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know what her family situation's like, but someone should have. Someone needed to step in somewhere. I feel like this was kind of a perfect storm of bad circumstances that led to this because the kids weren't in school because of COVID maybe. Like that would have been any reason for no one to kind of check up on them because they were, you know, could have been at home. Like there's things that like it all kind of aligned for them to be able to get away with this for nearly a year. Yeah, because I saw they did have um, truancy issues last year, but then because of COVID and stuff, it kind of just fell through the cracks. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's probably all that'll really come out of that one for a while because well, so much be has come out. Yeah, it might be ongoing for a little while in terms of the bond and the legal process, but there's surely not much more information about the actual crime and the conditions that can come out. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's funny 
again, funny. No, this is different, though. <laughs> my sister just texted me and she said, random thought of the day. I don't think Jelani Day killed himself. <laughs> what does and she I was think? Like, Better. I was like, that's funny because I'm recording about it right now. <laughs> and she said, she said, why the fuck would he take off license plates, strip and walk three miles to drown himself? Maybe someone else took the license plates when they found the car, though. Well, that's what she's saying. Like, she doesn't think like he did it all himself. No, no. But yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but I don't maybe that like, oh, like maybe, if he left the car and then yeah, someone stole him. Maybe the like, license plates it. aren't even really related to his whole thing. It was just an opportunity thing. Yeah. The clothes mm. thing always gets me, too, because. If he was just jumping in the river to kill Brown. himself, well, I was like, well, well, let me take off my clothes first. Mm. I th- yeah, I still feel it's probably a mental break. I don't know. Just... Yeah, so Jelani will always be a mystery. Well, hopefully not always, but seems like it'll be a mystery for some time. Yeah. Was that all the updates? Did I think. All right. Well, that is all the updates we're going to go over today. If anything, um, if any... Why can't I like think of words today? Like I'm having a stroke. <laughs> if there's if anything significant happens between in the next 48 hours with any of these cases, I will update the episode as I have been right before I put it out. Kind of hoping nothing overly significant happens until our next episode cuz I just don't want to do that. So that's everything. Check out our blog because that's where we have all the show notes all the videos sources everything you could want to know our instagram we post updates on there all day for all sorts of cases so follow us there at true crime society pretty much every platform you could find us on so whichever one you prefer one thing i just want to add quickly is there seems to have been a few issues with facebook in general which isn't really surprising so i know on some of our last few posts people just see an image they don't actually see any context we always make a post like we don't just put an image up so they don't actually see the post or anything like that so um, if you do say anything like that, you can send us a message, but there isn't really a lot we can do. You just have to try and kind of go to the True Crime Society main Facebook page and hopefully you'll be able to see all the information. I know some people have said they can't comment. That's not us. Like if you were banned, you wouldn't even, I didn't even think you'd see the page. So it's it literally. Like both Facebook and Instagram have been pretty glitchy lately. Yeah. I know like on Instagram too, people have been having issues with links, but it's not just us. Like I've seen other influencer type accounts being like if the links aren't working for you like make sure you're on the most recent update and like close it out so there's some known issues going on so hopefully that will get kind of keep trying and maybe for facebook just go to true crime society page if you see something random go there and there should hopefully be the whole post and context and things like that sometimes the pictures get broken off if someone comments on them that's what i saw so like (sighs) if it's so annoying. Goes, it's such a dumb... I know, I hate that. Like, why? Why would, you, why would you ever just need to see the photo? Like, surely you just see the whole lot together. Is it, um, it, I just saw it yesterday. It just reminded me. Um, one of the things we posted, I just saw literally the one picture from the post on my feed, and it says, like, so-and-so commented on this photo. So sometimes people see it that way, and it gets broken out from the post for some reason. It's so dumb and annoying another great facebook thing Honestly, <laughs> i saw like on, on the on the note of facebook i saw ricky gervais who i'm assuming you guys all know he's some famous british you would know him because he hosted the i don't know whatever emmys or yeah. whatever he had a facebook page pa- pa- oh, i can't even speak facebook post removed this week that was from 2018 where he wrote about how much he hated animal poachers and he used you know fuck a few times <laughs> and they removed it i'm like what is like why what is going on I, three years ago it's just they've just insane 
It's like even it's never going to change. I've given up. Yeah, even in our groups, they remove stuff from like 2018 still. Well, they it's removed like, my right. two of my posts for spam the other day, even though it was our own groups, and I'd made a post in them, <laughs> spamming my own group. I'm pretty sure I'm shadow banned because like, or just no one likes me because <laughs> I get no interaction on my posts. But like, I used to be the star. <laughs> well, it just so depends. I will continue I, like, to believe I'm shadow banned. Enough Facebook bitching. It sucks. We can't. We can't really do anything. You can send us a message and we can try and help, but it's generally just Facebook being shit. Anyways, back to being professionals. Um, <laughs> also, keep sta- sharing that you're listening to the podcast on Instagram. It's really great when you guys do that because it helps us get the word out about the podcast, and we'll keep sharing them. We love to see that you guys are listening especially when you're going on road trips and yes. flights and then I'm really jealous. <laughs> so so keep it up. Love to and see make it. sure you also subscribe. That's a good way to make sure that you don't miss any episodes. It should if you use that app like Apple Podcasts or Overcast or you know any of the kind of external podcast app, it should download the episode automatically for you once you subscribe. So it'll be there when you wake up in the morning and ready to go. Yeah. Next week, like we said, we're going to talk about Cleo Smith, and I don't know what we're going to talk about much after that. So if you guys have any ideas or any cases you want to hear us talk about, send them on in. Probably send them on Instagram or Or, our email. Yeah, so they don't get lost. Our email is truecrimesociety at gmail.com. And Instagram, we pretty much always check the messages, so it's a safe bet to send it there too, generally. But I think that's everything so we will talk to you guys next time about cleo smith see you later bye